Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, College for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, July 11th, we are studying Psalm 46. In today's text, the Lord teaches us to be still because He is God. He is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Boisclair. Pastor Boisclair serves as interim pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Sharp Iron. I'm ready ready and raring to go. I'm glad to be here. So, Pastor Boisclair, as we get started today, talk to us about the Psalms in general. It's a different sort of genre than we were looking at previously here on Sharper Iron. We had been in Revelation for quite some time. What do we need to know about the Psalms to help us approach them and receive them as Christians? Well, it, it's like uh, you have your um, hymn book in the pew rack, um, and this is the hymn book of the people of Israel and, and the Old Testament. Uh, they are of different uh, types, or they're called, they were, the Hebrew word for psalm is mizmor. This, this particular psalm is a different, uh, a song, it's called a song. Uh, so, so, you know, it shows that there's a, the, a different types of, uh, you know, uh, probably the best way to say it would be poems or, or uh, prayers, uh, songs, uh, and, and for different purposes. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting, this, the Psalter is divided into five books, uh, like the five books of Moses. Um, and, and so this is, this is like the hymn book of, of, of Israel. And, and that's, and of course it's also, uh, this particular Psalm is said to inspire the prophets in, in their, uh, uh, ministry of bringing God's word to the people and, and speaking about, you know, the, how God relates to his people mm. and this this is just a very it's a it's more of a you know like i kind of compare this psalm to psalm 91 uh psalm 91 um is is more like a um a personal um affirmation of, of faith that the lord gives uh this is a corporate i i would see this more as a corporate affirmation of the people of god you know and, and they make reference to second chronicles chapter uh, or is it 30, 22, I think, 20, uh, where, where uh, Jehoshaphat uh, faces uh, quite a lot of, uh, of um, enemies. And, and so in, the, in that particular case, it's sort of like they're, they're saying that maybe the psalm was composed during that time in, in, in a, uh, a service of, um, you know, thanksgiving to the Lord. And, and so th- this is kind of like th- this, this psalm comes sort of like as a um uh an expression of of praise to god that that he has delivered his people that that's kind of like it like it is sometimes another thing about the psalms is as some as as of course um interpreters lutheran interpreters would say is that they it's it's 
pretty much the Lord Jesus who is the one that is speaking uh, or is, is to be seen as speaking many of the Psalms. Mm. Okay, so there's, there's a lot of great stuff there, Pastor Boyce Claire. You've mentioned a couple of things. Here on Sharper Iron, as we're going through selected psalms during the month of July, we're not taking every single one. But in the ones that we've had, this is the first one that is now in Book 2 of the Psalter. You mentioned there are five. We're now in Book 2 here with this one, which doesn't always mean a whole lot, but we did say that in Book 1, many of the psalms are psalms of David, and we looked at several of those. Here at the beginning of Book 2, there are several psalms that are labeled as songs or psalms of the sons of Korah, and I think you've kind of started to reference that a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about the authorship here, what, what that means, that these are this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Yeah, it, 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 it's kind of like unclear whether it was a psalm which was composed by this uh, corpus of uh, uh, musicians. Uh, they, were, they were temple musicians, and uh, uh, you know, it's rather interesting that their uh, father, uh, you know, ancestor, uh, was, was one of the uh, Nathan, uh, Dathan and Korah were the ones who had the rebellion against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. But uh, then the sons of Korah, of course, wanted to show their faithfulness to God and, and to his and to Israel by, by what they did. Uh, it, this could be uh, a psalm which is composed by them. It could also be a psalm which is uh, where, they, where they're given acknowledgement or, you know, are, not, are, not, are assigned to them for, their, for the uh, worship in the temple. So, uh, that that they are to uh, well of course it's it's basically to the choir master or to the director and then and then uh, I think as you look as you look at it it looks like they're they're the uh, ones who uh, compose the psalm okay and they are the temple musicians that's the the pretty key point to keep in mind when you see that these are there are psalms of the sons of Korah as you said probably written by them but also perhaps assigned to them and their role as temple musicians. I think you've also mentioned the the possibility of of some historical context here, and I'm not sure that we can assign. I don't. I'd never heard particularly the account of that this fits with what happened with Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20. It's at least that particularly. But regardless of, of if it's that specific, I have seen within the psalm the imagery of that military victory. Talk a little bit more about the importance of recognizing that imagery here in Psalm 46. Um, it, it, it's interesting that in, in uh, the other history of Israel, uh, you know, especially of the Northern Kingdom, they, they don't seem to have very much success. Um, and uh, because of their, you know, unfaithfulness to God, God allows them to be conquered ultimately in, in 722 BC. Um, in the case of Jerusalem, uh, there, there is that uh, event in the life of King Jehoshaphat, uh, in, in where he uh, he basically prevails over Moab, Ammon, and Es or Edom, they say Mount Seir, uh, and uh, that case. And then there's also the case of Hezekiah, where the odds really looked bad for the people of Judah and and the people of, of Jerusalem. Uh, that would be at the time of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, of course, uh, you know, has there's a lot of hints uh, of the psalm in Isaiah's prophecies. Um, 
in this particular case, it, it, it is by, uh, uh, you know, a miraculous deliverance. Uh, in the case of Jehoshaphat, the, the enemy turned their swords upon each other. They, they fought among themselves. Uh, which which was something that was true at the time of David and and Saul and David and so on that the the Philistines were confused and then they would fight themselves. In the case of Hezekiah, uh, you have the uh, uh, what 185,000 men surrounding the city of Jerusalem and and an angel of God comes down and and slaughters them. So th- this is in in a sense it's. It, it, it really looks to God. They're, they're not placing their faith in their own uh, you know, fortifications, their own weapons, their own power, their own strength, uh, or things of man, but, but uh, that God himself is, is their uh, refuge or stronghold and strength. Yeah, and, and not only is he the refuge and stronghold for them so they can take refuge in him, but then he's the one that goes out and fights the battle for them, which is the case in all of the examples that you've mentioned. And I, I did, I flipped back to Second to Chronicles 20 just as you were talking, and it's a fantastic passage in, in which King Jehoshaphat tells the people, you don't need to be afraid because the Lord's going to fight for you. And what's remarkable about that text is he ends up singing, he ends up sing, sending the singers out and ahead of the the army. So the choir leads the army into battle, which is just a a remarkable picture there that uh, how can we do that? Well, because God's the one who's doing the fighting for us. We are safe in him. And of course, all of this, I think, really goes back to what happens in the Exodus, where the Lord tells his people there in the same language as we're going to read here in Psalm 46, you just, you stand still, you be quiet and you watch and the Lord will fight for you. So all of these examples in the Old Testament really are coming to fruition in Psalm 46 and really fit nicely to give us a context of what we're going to read in this psalm. Absolutely. That, that uh, reference or that connection is made by uh, Kyle Dalich uh, okay. in their commentary. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that was the commentary when I, was, when I came out of seminary 40 years ago. Okay, good. No, I, I just had never connected it with Jehoshaphat. But like I said, when you when you go back and look at, at 2 Chronicles 20, which I would encourage anyone to go look at that chapter. It's a fantastic text. It, it really does fit. So I, I, I like that. I like that. So let's go ahead. Let's take a look at this. This is Psalm 46 this morning. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's our text for today. That is Psalm 46. Pastor Boyce Claire, we talked a little bit about the 
superscript of the psalm, which is a part of verse 1. It's written to the choir master. We've got the sons of Korah. According to Alamoth, which is probably some kind of musical or liturgical term, and this is a song that we're reading. And then in our English translations, the verse that is marked as verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This image seems to be the controlling one within this psalm. Talk more about what we find out there in verse 1. Yes, um, it, 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 it basically turns the uh, thoughts of the people away from their own strength or their own, um, uh, you know, citadel or their own castle or their own uh, refuge and, 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 and pictures that as God himself. Um, uh, and and, and as, as you mentioned before about the fact that uh, King Jehoshaphat sent out the singers and ahead of the army shows their confidence uh, and God-given faith, you know, uh, you know, in other words, they don't have anything to worry about if if, uh, if their trust, if the Lord promises deliverance and they trust in the Lord. Because I think there was a prophet who uh, spoke to uh, Jehoshaphat, and and they believed the word, and so and then they so it's it's not all of these things that we have around us, not the city of Jerusalem, not the army, not uh, the uh, weapons, but it is God Himself who is our. Uh, fortress and our strength. He, he, is, he is the one, you know, we put ourselves entirely into his hands. He is a present help in trouble, you know, especially, you know, a lot of times uh, may, we may find ourselves in, in very uh, scary situations, especially driving on the highways. Uh, you know, it's just a constant Lord protect me and my car, uh, protect everybody, uh, you know, grant that everybody stop correctly. So it, it's ultimately, uh, it's kind of like whatever whatever we find ourselves in, whatever kind of danger that we find ourselves in, we, we, we turn to our rock, our fortress, our strength, our, our God, who is, is always willing and helpful to us. And no evil will happen to us, as, as Psalm 91 says. Yeah, you're right about uh, the account of King Jehoshaphat. It is a prophet by the name of Jehaziel in Second Chronicles 20, verse 14, that speaks that good word to Jehoshaphat and his army there, so that they let the singers lead the army into battle, because it is actually the Lord who is fighting for them. And that's the, the picture we have here. As you said, God is our, our very present. He is our ever-present help in trouble, always this refuge, this strength for us, even in those moments where it doesn't seem like there is a, a battle or protection is needed, it's striking to me. You mentioned the example of just driving in your car. I think sometimes we take those those moments for granted, and we think, "Oh, you know, this is just something I always do," and we don't don't always realize just how often the Lord is being our refuge and strength at those moments, protecting us from dangers that are, are unseen to us. Yet, apart from His protection, we would surely be lost. I, I, I remember uh, a, an, e an event where my, my father uh, was driving me to college in, in Milwaukee. Uh, I was like a freshman in college. And uh, we were, my dad uh, and I both are, ha tend to have lead feet <laughs> when we're driving. And uh, he turned on, we, we um, uh, got onto one highway and, and, there, and all, of the, all of the cars were stopped. It was a traffic jam. And uh, uh, we, we were going to hit 
somebody and and it, and it wasn't going it, it, we were going like 70 miles an hour whatever and by the grace of god he was able to switch lanes into the uh, into a ramp that got off the highway and and uh by the grace of god we were we were saved now now every time i i i, I keep a very safe distance between any any vehicles that are in front of me <laughs> anytime i see a uh, see a, a, a traffic, or rather, a um, cars, uh, you know, stoplights come on in the back. It, it just, it, it, it just really spooks me, <laughs> and so I, I slow down <laughs> and uh, carefully. But, but I mean, the thing was, is I, I, I thought we were done for, and, and uh, you know, by the grace of God, we, we were able to um, not uh, have a terrible accident like that. Mm. Sure. So this, this psalm is a reminder of God's strength, his protection in times of physical danger, and certainly the example of Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament fits right into that, how the Lord defeats our those, those physical enemies for his people. It's also a reminder of the way that he wages spiritual warfare for us, that he fights our spiritual enemies for us. And I think that's an opportunity for us to at least briefly talk about the hymn that I think we just can't help but talk about when we think of Psalm 46, Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. How does Luther make use of this psalm within that hymn? How does he pick up this imagery of God as our refuge and strength, this fortress, this castle, and talk then about the the way that God protects us from our spiritual enemies? Well, he does that by uh, making reference right away to uh, the one who does battle for us, Uh, a mighty fortress, a trusty shield and weapon. Uh, He helps us free from every need that hath us now are taken, the old evil foe. You know, the, the first uh, stanza basically shows us as uh, those who are uh, the victims of Satan and, uh, and his desire to rip us away from our God. Uh, then, um, with might of ours cannot be done, soon were our loss effected, but for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Ask ye who is this, who is this? Jesus Christ, it is of Sabaoth, Lord. There you go with the uh, Yahweh Sabaoth. Uh, and there's none other God. He holds the field forever. And so, so it, it's it, it, as all Scripture is about Christ. So as Luther, Luther can't help but uh, bring in our Lord Jesus Christ in, into this uh, basic scenario. Uh, you know the commentator sa- says, "Well, Luther always, d- always normally did this. This was a was a more critical commentary commentator." Uh, but uh, I think Jesus says uh, of the Holy Scriptures, uh, "You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me." And so uh, we can, and and even the use of the word Yahweh or Lord uh, is is how the people of God of the New Testament understand our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and the thing about, uh, just since you quoted all the way through stanza two of A Mighty Fortress, when we sing of Sabaoth Lord, I'm glad you pointed out this is not the word Sabbath, which I think is is something that I didn't understand until much later in life. (laughs) That is not the word Sabbath, which means rest. The word Sabaoth, which is there in A Mighty Fortress, and is sometimes sung as that word within the Sanctus, it means hosts or armies. So when we call Jesus the Lord of Sabaoth, we are saying he is the Lord of armies. And that's the the language of Psalm 46 in verse 7 and verse 11. The Lord, Yahweh, of hosts is with us. 
that means he is the one who fights the battle for us. And I think Luther's move to connect that to Jesus in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, fits perfectly with what's here in Psalm 46, because God is the refuge and strength. He's not only the protection for us, but he's also the one who fights and wins the battle for us. And the way that Luther incorporates that into A Mighty Fortress is just a marvelous hymn to remind us that, that there is nothing to fear from the devil anymore, because Christ is conquered, and so one little word fells him. And, and uh, the word Sabaoth, it, God has many armies. Uh, he has the army of the angels. He has the army of, of the constellations and the, uh, of the universe, you might say. He has all humanity. Uh, you know, it, it's and that in the Psalms too, at times uh, they, they say, uh, you know, let, let uh, the floods clap their hands or uh, the clap your hands, O you peoples. It, it's just that, that, that he is surrounded by uh, a tremendous, uh, not only one army, but, but a myriad of armies. And uh, even as uh, it, it was, um, I believe it was Elisha who said to his servant, greater are those who are with us than those who are with them. And so uh, we, we've, got, we've got quite a, quite a team. That's right. Yeah, and and when we call when he is called the Lord of Armies within the the Old Testament especially, as you said it, it does mean that that every single army is ultimately under his control and his command. And that includes the enemy armies. There's a within the account of in Judges, within the account of Deborah and Barak. And I think it's in the Song of Deborah that is sung in Judges 5. Or I can't remember if it's in the narrative part in Judges 4. It's in one of those chapters where there is this note that the Lord is even controlling the enemy armies, which is, I mean, I think that fits in very well with what we've been talking about so far in some of these Old Testament examples. You know, how is it that that these huge armies fall before Israel or Judah, which is really minuscule in terms of its military power? Well, it's because the Lord has even control over those enemy armies and sometimes turns them against themselves and wins the battle in that way. So when we call Yahweh or Jesus the Lord of Sabaoth, that's what we're talking about, is he has, I mean, all this military power that seems so mighty to us ultimately falls under the, the gracious providence of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he uses it oh, for our sakes. Absolutely. I, I, can, I couldn't put it better uh, at all. And, and as you even mentioned beginning uh, of our study here, uh, that uh, it is not only against physical enemies or political en enemies or, uh, you know, enemies of nature. You know, you could, e you could even bring in uh, uh, the possibility, like they're talking about uh, asteroids that came within 100,000 miles of the Earth uh, within, you know, in other words, it'd be like within the orbit of the moon or something like that. Uh, or many other different things. And, you know, we're not afraid of all of the forces of nature. God's also in control of those armies as well. That's right. And, and I mean, that fits in nicely with what we studied with the book of Revelation the last several months, and think about all of the natural disasters that could happen, and the way that the Lord has those under his control. And it fits very well in the context of Psalm 46. So we've been talking a lot about the military aspect of this, but there is also this, this natural aspect as well, what happens in nature. So let's keep looking at a couple more verses here before our break. Verses 2 and 3, Therefore, so because God is our refuge and strength, therefore we will not fear. And then the sons of Korah, they mention, although the earth gives way, 
although the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, although the waters roar in foam, although the mountains tremble at its swelling. Talk about those various things that may happen and why it is we don't need to be afraid. Well, I, you know, I can't help but thinking of, of earthquakes um, and um, you, uh, or maybe, maybe of course, uh, in, in that particular case, uh, a, um, uh, hurricanes or typhoons in the, in the South Pacific, uh, tornadoes, um, you know, those are, they're, they're very destructive and, and, and there's, there's great loss of life. Uh, also, uh, tsunamis. Uh, might be considered. Also, what what happens? They, I, I think, I was told that uh, there was a a, the, uh, a meteor hit had hit the moon, and that uh, they had t- made it had a uh, video of it of the of the uh, meteor hitting the moon and the sound of it, and and so on. There's a, there's a lot of stuff out there that that can intimidate us and frighten us, uh, and 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 in other words, it says here. You know, even if everything explodes, you know, uh, you know, God is still there with me. God is still with us uh, because we know that this life is not the only life there is, that there is also the life to come, uh, you know, for, for many people. And this is, of course, a, a sad uh, situation that, that maybe some of our listeners are, are facing is, is when, they, when they are not in the Lord, uh, that uh, that. This, this life is all there is. But of course, uh, you know, there is also the prospect of eternal damnation as well. But um, uh, I think that basically what we have here is it shows that no matter what happens in, in, in uh, nature or in politics or anywhere, that we, we place our confident hands in the Lord. Mm, that's right. Yeah. And this psalm certainly gives us that reason for confidence. We do not need to fear, even though the most permanent things that we can think of in this life, although those may be overturned. You've got the earth, the mountains, the seas. These are are the most lasting things, it would seem. Even if these things should tumble and fall, our hope is in the Lord, and even more permanent, the most permanent refuge that we have. And so there is no need to fear for us as Christians. We're going to be talking about this marvelous good news from Psalm 46. More on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor David Boisclair this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, July 11th. We're studying Psalm 46 with Pastor David Boisclair. He is the interim pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, prior to the break, we were looking at the way that creation might be thrown into upheaval, and yet Christians have no need to fear because the Lord is our refuge and strength. We've got the mention of the mountains and also then the waters roaring and foam. 
I recall from our study of Revelation recently that the, the waters are often seen as a place of, of evil and chaos by the, the Hebrews especially. Talk more about that and how that fits into the imagery of this psalm. Yes, um, they, they, were not, uh, they were not sailors, although uh, for, I think it, it was one of the, some of the northern tribes that they were said to have ships. Uh, they, were, they were nearby to the Phoenicians, and they, of course, were uh, seafarers. Uh, the, um, uh, the, the basically, if you look at creation in Genesis chapter one, it, it's like uh, at first th- when the world was formless and, and uh, empty, that, uh, that there was just nothing but water. There was uh, nothing but the, the great deep. And, um, you know, some of the commentators point out in like in this Psalm that, uh, there, that God is fight, fighting against the forces of chaos. Uh, the tohu wabohu, uh, formless and empty uh, nature of of the world, you know, just on the first day of creation, uh, and and uh, for the Hebrews as well, uh, you know, the uh, ocean, okay, the Mediterranean Sea, of course, was a, a source of great fear to them. Um, but then you have, of course, Jonah really wanted to get away from God, uh, who had directed him to go to Nineveh. And, uh, and, and so he takes ship uh, to go to uh, Tarshish, or which is probably uh, Spain uh, by the Phoenicians. And uh, so he, they're on, on, and then of course they, they go through that. And then it's interesting that um, uh, Jonah uses the phrase, uh, the heart of the sea uh, in, his, uh, in his prophecy, and I think chapter two, where he's, he prays to God from the belly of the great fish. Um, and, and so, but then in, in the life to come, in the new creation, uh, which, is, which is permanent, uh, there will be no sea, uh, which is kind of like to say there will be nothing to intimidate us in, in God's new creation. So we've got that image of the sea being a place of chaos and evil over which the Lord has control, and that's something that the, they would have avoided. However, you do have this image that comes up within the Psalter here, and also is elsewhere in the, the Old Testament, that there's this river. And this river, as verse 4 says, makes glad the city of God, the place where God dwells. So talk about this river and the connection to the habitation of the Most High as we keep moving forward here in verse 4. Well, if you uh, look at, I mentioned uh, about Genesis chapter 1, well, of course, this would be like in Genesis chapter 2. It speaks about a river that watered Eden uh, and paradise, and and that, uh, of course, uh, was the uh, headwaters of four four rivers. Um, And and, 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 and basically, speaking of that, uh, the uh, psalmist is is thinking of uh, God the eternal habitation of God's people that is in paradise or which be, will be paradise. Uh, it's interesting that the commentator mentioned a couple references, Ezekiel chapter 47, verse one, uh, where uh, you know Ezekiel is being shown by the angel or the per- messenger of God, uh, the, um, the new temple. And uh, you know here you have a temple, but then, then he says, then he brought, and, Ezekiel 47, 1, it says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. And then you have Joel uh, 3, 18, 
which says, all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Uh, Zechariah 14 verse 8, on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And of course, Revelation chapter one, uh, 22, uh, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so that, that, that's imagery that, that speaks about our abode, uh, our eternal home with God in, in uh, heaven. Right, and, and what makes it all of that and so good is the fact that this is where God dwells. This is, as Psalm 46 put it, his holy habitation. It is where he is in the midst of her and that's why she shall not be moved. The reason that this is such a, a mighty fortress isn't because the, the stonework was done so perfectly, but it's because this is where God is. He's the mighty fortress. The fact that he dwells here, this is what makes it that refuge. That's what makes heaven, heaven, as you've been bringing up Revelation several times, that's what makes it that, is because that's where God dwells with his people, and that's why it is such a secure and safe place. So this river is the sign. This is where God dwells. And I, I think we might think about our baptisms here as, as a one connection. You know, where is this river made present for us today? In the, the waters of holy baptism, we know that God dwells with us. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff here, Pastor Boisclair. Yes, and and um, in that they, they're also mentioning that the, the the theme continues or the picture continues with the in Revelation where it says that the tree of life, uh, yeah. w uh, you know, which which I think Dr. Brighton who wrote the commentary on Revelation said is all sort of like a species of tree that that there is all all a number of them along the road. It 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 shows that the Lord is the source of our life as what well. He protects us, but He also nourishes us. He also, uh, you know, and even Psalm 23 that He leads me beside the quiet waters. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, uh, and and so there there is there is that that God's loving care of us as as a uh, a mother eagle will uh, take up its uh, fledglings uh, on its wings and so on and, and, and covers us with its feathers. Uh, so in the same way, the Lord covers us with his love and mercy and refreshes us with uh, this clear as crystal stream that comes from the throne of God. Hmm. Yeah, so he brings his help exactly when we need it, which comes in the psalm at the end of verse 5, when the morning dawns. Now, for Christians reading this, I think hearing about the dawning of a morning should bring to mind the third day. But there's other places, the, the event of the Exodus, the Lord brings the waters back over the Egyptian army when the morning dawns. So just, just when the, the darkness perhaps seems like it's about to win, here comes the dawning of the morn, and the Lord wins the victory for his people. Take us into that, that last phrase of verse 5. Yes. Uh, there, there's also. I'm, I'm not. I don't know right away what reference this is. It, it says his his anger is for a moment, but his love is forever. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, that uh, you know, Christ on his cross uh, seems to be defeated by Satan. Uh, and, and of course, Satan, I think, was, was uh, you know, as, as Scripture says, if they knew what they were doing, the enemies of, 
of Christ, uh, the, the, the devil and his uh, fallen angels, then they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. And, and uh, then, uh, that, so that seems as if, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, darkness over the land, uh, there, it's, and, and the Son of God says uh, to his Father, why have you forsaken me? Uh, and then he um, uh, closes his eyes in death, uh, saying, it is finished. And then uh, there comes the Easter morning, which uh, breaks forth for an eternal salvation that God gives us. Mm, yeah, I think that the reference you quoted from earlier was, is, I think it's Psalm 30, where the Lord speaks in that way, that he, he comes with the, the morning. Or is it Psalm 30? Yeah, Psalm 30. Yeah, Psalm 30 talks that that way. Weeping may tarry for the night, joy comes with the morning. The other the other verse I think that, that applies here is in Lamentations chapter 3, that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Again, when you, you're in that night, mm. and it seems like the darkness is going to win, here comes the Lord with his mercy in the morning. The the early morning is a good time for Christians, for the people of God. This is when the Lord wins his victory. So don't be afraid to go to early service on, on Sunday morning if your church has an early one. That's that's when God God's doing his thing, is early in the morning. That's and he's he's doing it here in Psalm forty six. Even in the yeah, midst I, of I, I normally Yeah, I was I was just going to say I, I I if I if I wake up and it's like five o'clock in the morning, I think, wow, that's great. That's a great time to be up, uh, and and pray to the Lord and 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 study His Word and and definitely, uh, that's something I learned from our from our church here in, uh, in Overland. Uh, we have our divine service at eight a.m. and and uh, it's a great time uh, to turn to the Lord as the sun is rising. That's right. That's right. And it's also great to go to the late service as well to to hear the Lord's oh, word absolutely. whenever you hear it. Absolutely. That is that is the morning when the Lord is coming to help. So and that's happening not only in the midst of the the natural upheavals that we were talking about in verses 2 and 3, but also then the the more political upheavals, the military upheavals. That's where verse 6 t- begins to take us. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice the earth melts. And then that wonderful refrain in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our, is our fortress. Help us into those two verses. Yes. Um, and this, of course, is true for our, our own day and age. Uh, you know, there was a time, uh, for maybe in the 1990s, that we thought that uh, there might be a chance for the world to be at peace uh, with the uh, breaking down of the Iron Curtain and the Bamboo Curtain, as they called it in China. Uh, and uh, I remember when President uh, George H.W. Bush uh, was inaugurated, he says there's a new breeze blowing the, the time of peace, and everything has seemed to uh, fall apart uh, in this particular time. Uh, we're, we're sort of on the brink of nuclear war. Uh, the nations rage. And, and, and of course, you can, uh, you know, you're, you're reminded of Psalm 2, which says, uh, uh, talks about why do the, the the nations rage and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, um, and 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 then of course it's ultimately God who is in control, as we've said before. He is the the Yahweh Sebaoth, uh, the kingdoms totter, and then and then here here also the Lord teaches us that it is His word which brings about all things. He utters His voice, the earth melts. You know, uh, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? He that did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? And so he's, he's in charge. 
That's right. That's right. What a what a marvelous promise. And again, that verse seven does serve as a bit of a refrain here in Psalm forty six, showing up again in verse eleven. Now, Pastor Boyce Claire, just briefly, I think it's worth our mention. It's not a word that I read as I was going through Psalm forty six, but it is there in the text, and it shows up three times here in in he in the Psalm forty six. It's the word sila, which is I don't know if I'm pronounced or sila. It shows up three times here. It's left untranslated in our English text. You'll usually see it over in the margin. I don't know. There's too much that we can say because, as far as I know, no one really knows exactly what this means. Can you comment just briefly on that word, Selah? Yeah, in, in like at the beginning, uh, where it says uh, it gives directions for it to be sung, uh, like it's according to Alamoth, uh, you know, Selah. Of course, you know, the word can mean rock or strong, or it, it's sort of like um, one, of, it, it seems to be somewhat of a, maybe a, a an, the end of a musical phrase that, that where it's there. And then, then, then usually uh, in some translations, they say that it kind of refers to bring the music up and, and, and let's, uh, you know, uh, make, make our uh, songs louder to the Lord. So it's kind of like some kind of a direction for uh, the the song, you know. So in a sense, like we see bar uh, the um, uh, you know bars and 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 uh, notes and so on. Uh, you know, this is sort of like uh, the from ancient times the uh, manner in which a song was was sort of uh, put put on paper. Uh, so it it but it, again it it has the idea of of. Uh, Firming or, or, or increasing or, uh, you know, raising the sound, that kind of okay. an idea. Sure, yeah. And again, it's one of those words that you, you won't see it translated within your English text because there is some question as to how it precisely functions in every case. It, it perhaps seems to be some sort of musical indication, but we're not entirely sure how to. So that's why you won't see it translated and just left there as it is. Now, as we pick up the text again, then, after the second Selah, verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Talk to us about these these two verses now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Isaiah was was uh, influenced by that. He says they will, uh, they will um, break their... Uh, bows into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, uh, and they shall learn war no more. Um, you know, God, of course, uh, does not uh, bring evil. Uh, he, he is not, he may be the author of what is called, in Hebrew is the word ra, which means uh, woe or calamity, but he is not the author of rasha, which is which is the evil of the devil. And, and uh and so he, it is not God's intention to bring war upon the earth uh, because he, you know, he is not like in the ancient times they had gods of war, uh, Mars and Ares and, and um, Baal. Uh, in, in this particular case, it's, it's like he, he, wants, he wants the best for his creation, the crown of his creation, humankind. He loves people and he doesn't like to see them, uh, you know, slaughtered in, in like what's going on in the Ukraine and so on and and um, and, and I mean this is kind of a promise that 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 is his will that uh, wars would cease and that 
and, and of course, not, of course, to leave room for the devil to gain power, but that, again, uh, that is where, where he is the one that uh, will, will um, bring an end to war uh, in his intention. Uh, but, but he allows it, of, of course, to remind us of our sinfulness and our need for repentance. And I think that the way that the the picture of verses 8 and 9 work here, if we can try to tie some of these things together, the people of God are with him in his holy habitation, the place where he dwells, which means that they are in this mighty fortress. They are in the refuge and strength where they cannot be harmed. Still, as we know from the rest of Scripture, the enemies of God and his people surround them in an attempt to attack and an attempt to destroy God and all that he's done and his people. And so I, I think what, at least the way that I've, I've seen verses 8 and 9 then, is that the people of God now are invited to look out upon those who would mean them harm and see that the Lord has defeated their enemies for them. Not because he, he desired to, you know, not because he desired their eternal damnation, as, as you said. We don't, we don't believe that. The Scriptures don't teach that. But for those who have allied themselves with the devil— and who have attacked his church, the Lord will defeat them on the last day. And the people of God here are invited to see, look, the Lord has done what he's promised. He has won the victory for you, and there is nothing for you to fear. Everything that would try to bring you harm, the Lord has power over that, and he has broken all of those weapons of war, whether they are physical or spiritual. He has defeated your enemies, and now we can be in that mighty fortress and look out and see that the Lord has, in fact, brought about our, our safety now and eternally. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, referencing Psalm 91, you know, a thousand shall fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Um, you know, there's only with your eyes shall you see the reward of the wicked uh, in, in, in Psalm 91. Um, and so, it, in a sense, uh, that, that's something that's endearing us to our God, that he is a God of peace or desires peace. But peace, uh, that is true peace, which is uh, what God makes for us through our Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins. God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their sins against them in Christ. Uh, and and that's, that's the uh, comfort that we have. Mm, that's right. So the Lord has won the victory for his people, and we've seen that in many Old Testament examples that we've already brought up, and the psalmists here call upon the, the people of God to look upon this to see the victory that the Lord has won. I think that you know the mention there in verse 9 of breaking the bow, shattering the spear, burning even the chariot, each time kind of ups the ante for a more powerful weapon, even over chariots, which maybe would have been the, the tanks of their day, the Lord has the victory even over the chariots. And, and then I, I think there's a bit of a climax. All this is building then to what is perhaps one of the best-known verses in Psalm 46, maybe the best-known verse, where the Lord himself now actually speaks in the midst of all this. The one with whom we dwell, he now speaks to his people. And here's what he says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Take us into those words of the Lord in verse 10. The uh, literal translation of that is cease striving, uh, stop fighting, you know, maybe stop resisting. 
um, you know, it's always always in the in the nature of sinful humanity to uh, to resist God and to and 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 that of course is is uh, the tragic uh, re- events in the terms of a person uh, being unwilling for for God to be God. Know that I am God. Um, so so in 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 a sense there it's. It, it's like perhaps maybe it's a it's it's a call to to just uh, be quiet and 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 stop for a moment and 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 take all of this in um, and 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 he is exalted among the nations and exalted in the earth for the sake of his people as as scripture teaches in Ephesians where where our Christ is the head of all things for the sake of the church um, then that's and and then of course God wants all people to be uh, members of the body of Christ and the church. Uh, so if He is exalted, that that is because He wants to save. He is exalted to save, and and that it brings uh, you know comfort and and tranquility and peace into the heart of those who are uh, in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this language of being still also shows up again in the Exodus account, and I think this image of Exodus 14 really fits nicely with Psalm 46, mm-hmm. where the people of Israel have come to the Red Sea, and they think they're trapped because Pharaoh's army has is, is followed them and chased them down, and it seems there's no way out. And in that context, Moses says to the people of Israel, and this is Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, he tells Israel, "'Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today.'" For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And that, that verb, be silent, there in Exodus 14 is the same one that's used here in Psalm 46. So, yeah, stop stop fighting. When you see the enemies all around you, don't think that this is the battle that you have to win. The Lord's going to win. You just watch. Be silent. And that, that be silent, you know, you... you stop your striving, and instead let the Lord win for you. Trust that he will do it. Even when it seems that hope is lost, it's not, because the Lord is on your side. He will fight for you. And it, I mean, it's a wonderful promise for us to simply lay down all those things that we think we will do, and then the way that we will win these fights on our own, and instead simply let the Lord do what he's said and trust him to do that, and follow him, and, and just let him be God, because we, we never do a better job at being God than he does. Ab- absolutely. I liked what uh, one, uh, one pa- brother pastor uh, did a sermon, um, and, and I, it may have been you, I don't know, but, but uh, you know, it's, he, he was saying that he, he, it was kind of, um, uh, you know, thinking that he, like his wife, uh, what really looked to him, uh, you know, as, as for everything you might say. And he says, I, I really don't want to have that responsibility of being God, uh, because, because I can't fill his shoes. Uh, sometimes uh, we look at the things that are happening in the world and we say, well, you know, if I were God, I would, I would have put a stop to this. And, and, and even Luther said that it looks like everything is, is going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, and, and, uh, there, there, it, there is an appearance of defeat, uh, and, and that the, that the evil is winning. But uh, the, the truth of the matter is, as St. Paul says, for what is seen is temporal, but what is not seen is eternal. 
And the eternal truth is that God is, is the victor and ultimately will prevail. And, and he has already prevailed for us by the yeah. resurrection of our Lord. Right, and so then the call to be still is, is a call to faithfulness. Let God be God. Mm. And if it doesn't look to you like he is being God, trust that he is being God. He's, he is the one who is exalted. We know that the Lord Jesus is ascended, and so he does reign over all things. So stick with his word. Don't try to find another refuge. Don't look for some other strength. Stay faithful to what he's given you. Keep trusting in that. Keep doing those things that he's given you to do in your vocation, and trust that he's going to work that according to his will for your good, for the good of his whole church. And as you said, when he's exalted, that means he's working for our salvation. And so he does remain with us. He does remain with us as our fortress, as the psalm concludes. Got about a minute here, Pastor Boyce Claire. We have that refrain that recurs there in verse 11. Help us to, to wrap things up this morning. Uh, the, the, one of the operative words there is that Imanu, he is with us. Uh, that's in, in line with his name, Emmanuel. Uh, God is with us. Who can be against us? You know, the, quoting uh, Romans 8, uh, you know, who is there to condemn? Certainly not Christ. Who is there to uh, bring a charge? Uh, certainly not God, because he's the one that, that caused all of our sins to fall upon our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and and uh, he, he, of course, is the one that provides for us a refuge from the devil who is always ready to accuse, always ready to tear us away from our loving Heavenly Father and his, his uh, family of life that we have as Christians. And so, um, so we always need to be reminded that he is with us and that he is our uh, fortress uh, to protect us from all evil and all harm. Pastor David Boyce-Claire serves as interim pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. He's been helping us today to study Psalm 46. Pastor Boyce-Claire, thanks, thanks for being our guest today. It's a, it's a pleasure. God be with everyone. The Lord is our mighty fortress. He has won the battle. He is God. Let him be God. Trust that he has won the victory for you over your every enemy, and you can rejoice that he dwells with you now and eternally. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Psalm 46, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>